Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's an interesting time today to come to this chapter as it is so appropriate and it's so timely for communion. And as we come to communion today, we want to make sure that we're going to take communion the right way. We don't want to just take communion because we come to church and once a month we take of the cup or we take of the bread. We want to take it because of what the Bible tells us to do and not only that, on how we ought to do it. You see, Jesus taught us and He told us, He gave us an ordinance, you must take communion. And He also told us on how we should do it. He didn't say just do communion. He also taught us which attitude or what approach we should take when it comes to communion. I like how in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as we read today this portion of text going through Corinthians, we know that Paul now is exhorting the church, he's telling the church in regards to their holiness. And last week we titled our message, Watch Your Step. As today, this week, we understand and we titled the message, Holiness from the Inside Out. I want you to know that, that holiness is important, but it happens from the inside out. We look at our world, we look at our culture, we see the different bills that are being passed in the culture and, and social media, everything that you look at in the news now, and you see that the devil has an agenda. And we expect holiness from our world sometimes a little too early. Sometimes we expect the church, the, I'm sorry, the schools to be holy, the, the world to be holy, the, the government to be holy, but we cannot expect any of that to be holy until we first expect the church to be holy. And I want us to draw our perspective to that because the church here in Corinth had become careless. And I'll tell you, when you become careless in your life, when you become comfortable in your life, it's going to lead you to compromise. When you become casual, we know that leads you to casualties. And today we want to talk about discipline. Because discipline allows you to set boundaries in your life so that you don't compromise. And if there's something that we need to learn is to set boundaries and to protect those boundaries so that we protect our holiness. Sometimes we end up in a place in life where we're like, I don't even know how I ended up here. <laughs> I, tr- I remembered one day, I looked back in my life and, and, and sure enough, now I was deep into sin. I was entangled back in what God had already freed me from. That's why it's important today that we set boundaries. And if you come today, I want you to know that. What boundaries has God called you to set so that you don't enter into temptation, you don't get comfortable, you don't compromise now, and you don't become careless. You see, the church here had become careless. So easy to do that. You get busy. You become prideful because of human intellect. But human intellect, wisdom, experience, and our education can never meet or solve the problem when it comes to the moral breakdown in our world today. There was a moral breakdown in the world there in Corinth, in that culture, in that time. What's a moral breakdown, you would ask yourself? It's when me and you, when the church, when us here, the Christians, when we fail in integrity and we fail in character because we want to please people, because we want people to like us, we want to be approved by people. And here in Corinth, here Paul is telling them now to stand up for truth and for holiness. To not put more emphasis on anything else in life, put emphasis on the cross of Jesus Christ. That should be the emphasis, that should be the focus, that should be the target. Where I start and where I finish is the cross. 
If it's my marriage, I want to start it at the cross and that's where we want to finish it. If it's our children, that's exactly what we want to do. If, we want to, if we're living, maybe God's called us to live single for now. We want to start at the cross and we want to finish at the cross. That is our pursuit. And you know that there are serious consequences when we ignore the cross? When you start to ignore the cross, when you put your cross on hold, and you ignore discipleship, you begin to compromise because you get comfortable in sin. And you ignore the cure of your sin, which is the cross. I hope that today, before we go to communion, we would get our priorities straight. That we would get our priorities straight when it comes to loving God and hating sin. I love what John Wesley said, I'm going to read it to you. He says, Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen, whether they be laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. Well, isn't that something to think about? Give me 100 people that fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Can we say today honestly, sincerely today, that we want to be those individuals that fear nothing but getting into sin and desire nothing but God? And you see that Paul here in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he comes and he has to apply a little bit of tough love. How many of you guys have got tough love before in your life? <laughs> but tough love, as uncomfortable as it is, as painful as it sounds, it's mature discipline. And we need discipline. Understand, you need to be disciplined. The way we get disciplined today, as we grow up, maybe our parents discipline us, but maybe the culture and the laws and the, the rules and the regulations discipline us and they keep us in check. But for Christians, you know what should keep you in check? God's Word should keep you always in check. It should keep you disciplined, God's Word. It should never leave any sin in your life unchecked. In fact, we should always go to God's Word for discipline. You know what? The discipline that we receive at church or the Word of God, the discipline is ultimately for the goal of restoration and the goal now of deliverance. If you ever experienced discipline through the Word of God or at church or by a brother or a sister or a leader that loves you, understand the ultimate goal of discipline is not to make someone feel bad. It's not to single someone out. It's not to make them feel guilty. That's not the point and the goal of discipline. The entire ultimate goal of discipline is for restoration. It's because we love people. It's because we want to see them restored. And know this today. You're not in control of your life. Either God's in control of your life, or Satan is in control of your life. And when God's in control of your life, you're going to be safe. But when Satan is in control of your life, you're going to be sorry. And this is exactly what Paul now wants to teach the church as a way to encourage them. Today I want you to know, this is so that we can get encouraged. So that we can be purified, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can live a life that honors God. And not a life that honors a man or a life that honors self. We want to honor God. At the end of today, we want to walk out of those doors saying, I, I want to live a life that honors God. That is the goal. That is the goal. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, as we read last week, it is actually reported that there are, is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality, it would say here, that is, as it's even not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife, or a man here is sleeping with his stepmother. He couldn't even believe it, Paul, that this was taking place. It's reported. It is well known. This is, this is not hidden. This is something that's taking place in the church. 
Something that doesn't even happen outside of the church for the unbeliever. And it's happening in the church, sexual immorality. And it says here, verse 2, And you are puffed up about this. You're bragging about this. You're saying, look how tolerant we are. Look how open-minded we are. Now they're saying here, look at your attitude about this issue that's taking place. If there's an issue taking place in the midst of us, our attitude should be a sin issue taking place in the midst of our lives, of our homes, of our church. Our attitude should be, we need to get rid of that issue. We need to deal with sin and address it. And it said, and you're puffed up, you're proudful about it. And I'm not rather mourned that he, this person, who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body, since I'm not there, I'm also, but I'm present, here it says, in spirit. And I have already judged as though as I were present, him who has done this deed. I know what to do with this person, he says. I'm not even there and I know what to do. I've already judged. I know what to do. I've discerned now with the reports that I've received, Paul is saying, on what we should do about this matter. In the name of our Lord Jesus, verse 4, Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction, not of that person, for by the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, you open up our minds and our hearts, Lord, that we would not be proud of sin, but we would repent of sin, that we would know that you've called us to holiness, to sanctification, Lord. And that we should not be involved in anything that does not honor you. In Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. It says here in the first two verses that there was now a young man sleeping with his stepmother. And the church was puffed up. They were proudful about it. Teaching us, number one, to be on guard. All of us here must be on guard. Because this he's talking to the church. We should all set boundaries so that we don't enter into temptation. But he's telling them this because one individual, and I want you to understand this, one individual can have a wide influence in the entire church. And your sin can have a, a wide influence in the relationships that you're a part of. In fact, this group of people had been separated for Christ through His word of the cross. They had been called into fellowship of the Lord Jesus. And their testimony, understand this, their testimony, was, which was the channel in where God can reach the world now. And that channel, that testimony was being compromised. And the purpose, the purpose which, in which why they existed was in danger. Because they were in sin. It was in total collapse, this purpose that God has called them because of the sin in their midst. You know what this teaches us? That this church here, these people were choosing pride and pleasure over purpose and calling. And I'm going to repeat that for you because I want you to remember that. That we ought to never choose pride and pleasure over purpose and calling. Their purpose was that they would have a strong, solid testimony to reach that city and that culture. In fact, their testimony was so weak, it was so watered down because of the moral breakdown, because of the fault and integrity that they had chosen their pride, they had chosen pleasure of sin, instead of choosing purpose and choosing calling. And here Paul is saying what's happening here, it's not acceptable. It is not tolerated. And doesn't this bother you? 
Does it bother you now when you know that something is taking place in your life, in your midst? Does it bother you to think about it? Or are you saying, you know what, I'm being tolerant, I'm being open-minded, I want to be all-inclusive now. I want to exalt diversity in, my, in the community of where I hang out with. Or does it bother you that, that people that, that profess to know Jesus Christ are in sin and you're not addressing them? This is twisted now. It's saying, your testimony should be powerful, but it's weak and it's being ruined now. What does this tell us, church, today? That we have to protect our testimony. Because your testimony is the channel by which God uses to reach other people. And if your testimony is sloppy at work, guess what's going to happen when you try to invite somebody to church or you try to tell them about Jesus? They're going to say, what, you, with that sloppy testimony, think that you're standing up for the Lord? No way. You see, you ought to have a testimony that is not proud or is not tolerant or is not about political correctness. You see, sometimes we don't want to offend people because I want to be politically correct. I want people to like me. And if I stand up for this certain issue in the Bible, guess what's going to happen? People are no longer going to approve of what I'm called to do. They're not going to support me. You see, you're not called to political correctness. We're called to biblical correctness. And we need to stay close to Scripture. He's telling them, why is it that you are not standing up for these things and you're, you're puffed up about something that's taking place in the center of your church? They were unconcerned. They were taking now sin lightly. We have to never take sin lightly. Never take it lightly when you know sin is taking place. Address it and deal with it. And you know why they were taking it lightly? They took their, they took their eyes off of the cross. They put it on self. They were occupied with themselves. And now the Holy Spirit was grieved, was quenched. The Holy Spirit had withdrawn from it because they became insensitive to sin. They became insensitive. They were desensitized to sin. They were used to it. They were accepting it now. They had no conviction. And that's what pride does to your heart. You don't get convicted anymore. Before you used to get convicted, but now pride started to seep in your heart. You allowed pride to come into your mind, the thoughts of the world and the enemy to come in your mind. And no longer, now were you convicted in the areas that you used to be. Be careful, church. Be careful. When you start to accept the things once you were convicted about. Because that's the first step to backsliding. When you say, you know, well, I'm okay with doing these things now. Maybe before I was a little too legalistic, a little bit too stringent on myself, too strict on myself. But guess what happens? The enemy wants to bring those thoughts in your mind. And now you start to accept and be desensitized of sin and become careless and comfortable. The only real weapon that you have is God and the Holy Spirit. And we ought to never quench that weapon. In fact, it says here in verse now, two and three, that you ought to remove this person from your fellowship. Why do you have to remove this person from your fellowship? Because we want to keep the church pure. We want to make sure that the church knows that we stand for holiness. And it should bother us that sin is taking place. And if we allow sin to take place in our home, you, you, you just know, I, have, I want to have a godly home. I want to have a godly home. And you know sin is taking place in your home, maybe uh, your, ch your children or whatever it would be, and you don't address it, guess what you're doing? You're condoning sin. You're allowing it to take place. You're enabling somebody in your home or in your church, in your relationship, to continue sinning because you're not addressing it. And sometimes people would say, you know, in the church, well, d mind your own business. That's none of your business what's taking place in my life, in my house, in my relationships, with my children, mind your own business. Let me tell you something. Your Christian brother and sister that's sitting next to you, that is their business. 
Because you are part of the family of, family of God. You are a fellow member of the body of Christ. And if it's happening within the Christian group, then guess what? The whole fellowship is affected. You would say, well, it doesn't matter. No one's being affected. Absolutely, people are being affected. If you're, you're sinning as a Christian within the church group or within your house, it's going to affect the dynamic of your home. It's going to affect the holiness of the church. And it's very so much the business of the fellowship. It's the business of the fellowship. You see, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, what did Jesus say? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's awesome there. But if he will not hear, if he says, you know, I don't care what you say. Take him with one or two more with witnesses by the mouth or two or three witnesses. Every word may be established that there is witnesses to establish those words. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even then to hear the church, let it be to you him like a heathen or a tax collector. Then treat him like those of the world and just expel him. Why? Because he's professing to be a Christian, yet he's saying, I'm okay living a double life. And that should not be so. Verse 3, it says, For indeed, as I was absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I have already judged as though I was present to those who have so done this deed. Yeah, I'm not even there. I already know what to do, he's saying. I know what, what must be done. Something must be done. We must make a decision. This is important because it leads us to maturity. And I want you to know that Paul here is not trying to be legalistic. He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to push people away. That is not what he's doing. So please do not take that perception when it comes to this text. In fact, he's saying, I have evaluated what we must do in order to maintain the purity of the fellowship and because we love that person. That's this is exactly what we must do. He's saying, in that manner of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 4, when you are gathered or call a meeting together, he's saying here, together along with my spirit. Tell him I told you to do it. Tell him I told you to put this meeting together. And with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, do it in my name. Just tell him I told you to put this together. I'll be there in spirit. I'm supporting this decision now. With the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, here it says, now verse 5, deliver such a one. Deliver such a one as Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know what he's saying here? Now though that Christian that is saying, I'm a Christian believer, but I have the liberty to maybe be unfaithful in this area of my life or to live a life that doesn't honor God and I'm going to still keep coming to church. Then this is where you're going to address it. And then after you're going to deliver such a person now to Satan. See, that word deliver here, it means a judicial sentence. Or to now give him up to the world. Now say, okay, we're going to give you up to the world now. Because that's the Satan's domain. And, and in doing this, I want you to know, this is the process of restoration. The way he's doing this, he isn't doing this because he hate the, we hate the person. He's just doing this because you, you don't love your son or your daughter. And you're saying you have to leave my house because you're going to be rebellious. And you're going to decide to do things in this home. And this is not the way we do things in this home. So I'm going to ask you to grab your stuff and you're going to find somewhere else to live. That's discipline right there. Not because you don't love your son or daughter. But because you love them enough to show them that there is a right and a wrong. And you want to see them get restored. And he's saying we want to deliver them over to Satan or to the, to the world so that their flesh may be destroyed. You see what he's saying here? By putting them out of the church, we're putting them into the world, into the devil's domain. 
And, and, and for what purpose now? You would say, what is the purpose of that? Somebody wants to sin. They say, you know, I'm okay. I'm going to just sin. I'm going to go out there and be unfaithful in these areas of my life. All right, let them just go out there. We're going to deliver you over to the Saiyan's domain. For what reason? Paul is saying this because he wants those people to face the consequences of those sins, get beat up a little bit by the world, and then know like the prodigal son, man, I need to go back to my father's house because it's so good when I remember God's house. Just think about that. And this, this medicine, this recommendation prescribed by Paul is so effective. How many times us, we've backslidden, right? And we go out to the world, we try to enjoy the world, we think, oh, I'm going to turn up in the world. I'm going to start enjoying the world, I'm going to enjoy my sin. And then you start to face the consequences of your sin. You start to face emptiness, misery, discouragement, despair. And guess what happens then? Your flesh starts to get destroyed when you remember the goodness and the grace of God. You have a new encounter with the grace of God. And he's saying, go, let, let's say and deal with them so that in hope that the results of their sin or the consequences of their sin and the impulse of their flesh in this particular area might be destroyed. Just think about that. When you go out and you sin and you, you think about all these things that you wanted to do and God says, all right, fine, go out there and do whatever you want to do. And then you start to face the consequences of those things that you thought were going to bring you pleasure, but really only left you empty. Only left you thirsty, did not leave you satisfied. And then that thing that you thought you wanted, you say, I don't want nothing to do with that now because I've faced the consequences of my sin. And I want to be like that prodigal son that maybe walked away. I want to go back to the home of my father. You see, Warren Worsby said something so beautifully. He said, church discipline, it's not a group of pious policemen. Out to catch a criminal, that's not what church discipline is. Rather, it's a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family of God. That is church discipline. A group of family of brothers and sisters that are broken-hearted. It's not for condemnation, it's for restoration. That's what church discipline's for. That's what discipline as a whole is for. That is the ultimate good goal for the good of all so that what? His flesh can be destroyed and that the Spirit would be saved when God comes. See, let's read that verse again in verse 5. So that His Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus returns, how is He going to find you? Is He going to find you in your sin? Or is He going to find you in the Spirit? Is He going to find you still playing and corrupting with the things of this world? You know, it's interesting that He's talking to the church here. And it's, and it's so important, it's so relevant. Because there's a lot of people in the church still that feel it's okay to live an old lifestyle. To lie, I'm not, you know, or, or lie or deceive. And I'll tell you this, you can, you can fake it maybe. You can lie to those at, at church, but you can't lie to God. You will never be able to lie to God. And he's saying, I want you to remove this person from the false sense of security that everything is okay because no one's telling them. Don't let them believe that they're going to get away with this. It's sad when you see, you think people, you know what, I, I just love them too much and I don't want to say anything. I, I want them to, to like me and if I say something, they're going to get offended. It's going to ruin our relationship. He says, no, Paul says, let them be saturated in their sin until like the prodigal son, he begins to be in want and he wants to come back because he remembers the goodness of God. And it's so important that we do this. We want to love people. But just because you love them, you're not going to be kind to cancer if cancer is killing them. 
You're not going to be, oh, let's just be, let's love cancer because we love them. And we don't want to do anything to them. No, we want to kill that cancer before the cancer kills them. And that's exactly why we have to address it. It's so important that here that we exercise this and understand this. Hey, you know what? If, if you're going to live that lifestyle, then we want you to just, you know what? Let's just don't come back till you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. Because we don't want you to set a bad example here. We want to purify the church. And we want you to understand what holiness means. We can't tolerate that. You can't tolerate it in your life or in your house, in your family. And I'll tell you this. No true Christian can be living sinning and be happy in it. You cannot. So eventually, Satan is going to rip off, rip them off. And eventually they're going to get beat up in the world. And they're going to understand the cross. And they're going to come back with the right perspective and mentality that I want to live a life that is holy. And they're going to die to your, themselves. What did Matthew chapter 5 verse 29 says? If your right eye causes you to sin, then you pluck that eye out and cast it for you. For it is more profitable that one of your members perish than the whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to cast, be cast into hell. Why is this important for us? If there's an area in our lives that is causing us to sin, then we better remove that area so that we don't sin, that we don't walk into it anymore. Oh man, I always have a problem with drinking. Every time I drink, then I get drunk and I get in the flesh. And, and, and you know, but what do you do on Friday nights, brother? Well, I go hang out at the bar with my friends. Well, of course you're getting drunk because you're in the wrong place. Oh, you know what? I have a problem with, with, with just lust and, and I get on these sites. And, and you know, well, what do you do late at night? Well, I just surf the net. Well, of course you're falling into sin because you're entertaining that arena. And for us, we have to understand if there's any area in our lives that are causing us to stumble, then we should have nothing to do with those areas. Even friendships. I'll tell you, friendships will go ahead and ruin the holy habits that God has given us to be able to be a part of. Understand this, bad company corrupts good habits. Bad company corrupts good habits. And I want you to know that. In, in, in who you invest time with. You think about it, none of my friends are Christian. How is that going to help me grow? I need to have friends that are Christian, brothers and sisters that are going to lift me up in the faith so that I mature and grow as a person of Jesus. And in verse 6 it says this, Your glory is not good, your pride is not good, you've not challenged the sin, you haven't checked it. These small compromises are leading to huge denial. I'll tell you, you compromising something small is going to lead in a huge denial of your life. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Leaven is symbolic in the Bible of sin. That's what leaven is. And in fact, leaven here, he's speaking of, it's yeast. And if you get a little bit of yeast on your dough, when you bake your bread, your bread will rise now and it'll puff up. And that's what he's saying. Don't you know just a little pinch of yeast will make the dough now rise up and puff up and it'll affect your entire dough? So just like a little pinch of sin will affect the entire now dough or a little bit of leaven, so likewise sin, just a little sin, will affect your entire church, will affect your entire house, will affect your entire life. Well, I'm good in all areas except this little area. I'm just still battling and dealing with it and flirting with this little area of my life. Little leaven leavens a whole lump. You see, you have to understand that that sin spreads through the camp. 
And if it's happening at your home, it's happening in a little area of your life, it's going to spread and affect everything else. And this leaven, it's talking about a little secret sin that permeates, goes inside, sneaks in, and then affects the entire life. You see, everyone in the church here was guilty because nobody was holding them accountable. It was unchecked, the sin. And it was causing others to think that, yeah, you can practice this and it would be okay. And then they were, they were thinking, no, I'm so pleased in doing this. You see, it's important that we understand what he's talking about. He's saying leaven because he's talking not only about yeast, but it's also talking about a little portion of the previous dough that sneaks into that new batch of dough will cause, that also will cause the dough to rise. You see, a little pinch of the old dough or the old batch or the old lifestyle, a little pinch of your old lifestyle put into the new now uh, batch of dough will affect your entire life. You see, we have to understand that we cannot leave small compromises in our lives that are going to eventually lead us to huge denial. We, we read about Peter when he was going to deny the Lord three th- times. What was he doing? He wasn't praying. He was sleeping. He was following the Lord from a distance. He was hanging out with those people that didn't love the Lord and were going to accuse Jesus Christ. And eventually it led him to huge denial because he set himself in a position to fail. See, verse 7, it says here now, Therefore purge, thoroughly cleanse. That's what purge means. It means to thoroughly cleanse now, verse 7, purge out now the old leaven. Everything that is old from your life, purge it out, clean it out. Go to your house today, you know. Take all that out, man. If you had a problem with drinking, take it all out. And you don't want nothing to do with it. You have a problem with those phone numbers and texting those people, then erase them. You have a problem with certain things in your life, then purge it out, thoroughly clean out, get rid of, remove the old leaven. Remove it, get rid of it. Have nothing to do with it. The friendship, a relationship, a contact. You see, you can never compromise now convictions for connections. And sometimes we think, well, I need good connections, so I'm going to compromise my convictions so I can get some good connections. Paul taught us, Don't compromise convictions from the Word of God for the sake of connections with other people so that they can like you. And it says this very clearly now in this chapter, verse 6, your glory is not good. Verse 7, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. We want to be a new lump. We want to be clean. We want to be something that honors God. Not the old leaven. We want to be separated from sin, from corruption, from contamination, from pollution of the old life that affects everything else. And and then it compares it to here, since you are truly unleavened, for Christ indeed is our Passover and was sacrificed for us. You're unleavened already. So stop contaminating yourself. Stop polluting yourself with the old lifestyle. For Christ is our Passover. What does that mean, Christ is our Passover? Today we're going to take and partake of communion, which is symbolic of the Passover. What was the Passover in the Old Testament? The angel came, and if in your house, in the doorpost, you didn't have the blood, then then if you did not have the blood, the angel would come and the firstborn, guess what would happen? You would be put to death before they went out and they exited Egypt, symbolic of the world. But if you had the blood on the doorstep, on the doorpost, Guess what would happen? The angel would pass over now because you were covered by the blood. Christ is our Passover. And what this means is that Christ has covered us from the guilt of shame, 
Christ has forgiven us. Christ has given us a new beginning. Christ has set us up and all things are new. We are a new creation. And because Christ has set us up, He is our Passover now. He has allowed us to pass over from sin into forgiveness now. We are new. And we are unleavened. Understand that now. I don't have to have the guilt of shame. I don't have to have the guilt of sin. Christ died on the cross for me so that I can be dead to sin. Not so that I can be dead in sin. Now, a lot of people would think, you know what, Christ died for me, and I'm still dead in sin. <laughs> no, He died for you so you can be dead to it. I'm dead to it. That, that old man, that old man died. You want to find the old me? Then go to the morgue, because I died. Right? We no longer are that person. And He's talking about the little things, the little things. He's not even talking about big things. He's talking about the little things that you allow in your life. That contaminate the little leaven, the little pinch, the secret permeating sins that can affect your entire life. Christ is our Passover. Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ now, has made us pure. So don't defile yourself any longer. Verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, or the, let us keep the Passover. Let us remember communion. Let us remember the cross. Let us remember redemption. Let us remember deliverance from sin. That's keeping the feast. Now with the old leaven. Don't remember communion. Don't remember the cross. Don't partake of, uh, of, of the bread and the cup. And, and don't remember now forgiveness. And, and now redemption and righteousness. And through Jesus Christ. With the old lifestyle. With the old leaven. Nor with the leaven of malice. Of hatred. Of wickedness. But with the leavened bread. Which is sincerity and truth. He says the blood of Christ has covered you. He has forgiven you. Therefore you are not to remember now. You ought to not live with the old lifestyle. You know what the Passover represents for you and for me? It represents deliverance. Thank you, Jesus. We've been delivered. Thank you, Jesus. We have been now liberated. We have freedom now from sin. We have joy and purity. Thank you, God, because you have given us the freedom from leaven, from sin. You know what Paul is telling us here? He's saying the final answer to your problem is the cross. And I want you to know that today. The final answer to your problem is the cross. You've been saying, what's the, what's the answer to the problem already? I'm trying everything. I don't know what the answer to the problem is. The final answer to your problem. You wanted the answer in one word? The cross. Two words. I'm sorry. <laughs> the final answer to your problem? The cross. Go to the cross. That's the answer to your problem. Where you remember there that you are a new creation. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That you are free from guilt and shame. You're free from sin. And he's saying here, not, don't do it with the old wickedness. But do it in sincerity and truth. You know what that is? Sincerity and truth means in obedience. It means in submission. In submission. See, we want to celebrate today communion. We want to celebrate the cross today by obedience. We want to celebrate the cross today with truth. And sincerity and truth, these are the two strongest guardrails now for the Christian life. Have you ever had to walk through some steps and in order to walk you, you held onto those guardrails? Well, I want you to know when it comes to the Christian faith, the Christian life, sincerity and truth are those guardrails of the Christian life so that you become safe now in the will of God. You want to become safe in the will of God, it's sincerity and truth. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with any sexual and immoral people. I told you already not to keep company, not to associate with those that are still living a lifestyle that doesn't honor God. Yet I certainly did not mean with those that are sexually immoral, people of the world, or with the covetous, with the extortioners, or with the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. 
I already told you, stop hanging out with people that are giving all over to this sin. But I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about those that, that are, are practicing this in the world. I'm not talking about those. In fact, God called you to be a light, and He called you to be salt, and He called you to be a testimony. So yes, you're going to have some type of relationships with people that are, that are of this world. When I talk about those sinners, I'm not talking about the unbeliever. I'm talking about the believer now. And it should not shock us. It should not surprise us when we see the world that's covetous. That they are in want of more. That they're extortioners. That they describe someone that wants to gain by violence. Or that they're a reviler. Talking about someone that, that defames or is a character assassin. That shouldn't shock you. That's what you should expect from the world. It should shock you now if you see it in the church. If you see it in self. We should be shocked at that. And we should say, Lord, is there any potential of any of these traits in my life? Is there any potential about this? Because I don't want nothing of this to be present in my life. And he says, if you wanted to be free from these people, then you would have to leave the world because the world is full of sin. I'm, telling, I'm talking about the Christian. I'm talking about that, that person that calls himself a Christian and is living a life of sin. Don't even eat with him. It says, but I have written, I have written verse 11, that you should not keep company with anyone named a brother. Here's the key. Anyone named a brother. Anyone that calls himself a brother. Don't even keep company with anyone that calls himself a brother. This is mature here. Anyone that's living a lifestyle of sin and saying they're a Christian. Who is a sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Don't even eat with that person. And that culture, you know what is he saying? Eating with somebody is, is, is the significance of mixing up together. That's what it means to eat with someone. It's significance of association or mingling. Or in this culture, it means if you had someone at your table, it would mean that you're saying, I, I, I condone, I fellowship with this type of lifestyle. No, he's saying here, bad company corrupts good habits. You know what's interesting to know here? That your sin not only affects your fellowship with God, but your sin will always also affect your fellowship with your brothers and your sisters. Know that. Sometimes you think, you know what, well, I, I can still be cool with, with people. And you understand that if you're living a lifestyle of sin, it's going to affect your fellowship with those people that love you, that are in the Lord, that are in the church. It will affect that too. It will draw the line there. And he says, I don't even want you to eat with them. Because you're now accepting this and you are becoming one with it. You are guilty by association because that person knows the truth. Yet they're choosing to live a lifestyle of sin. To just let them be, let them do their thing. And, and watch the world beat them up and then come back humbled and saying, you know what, I want to know Jesus the right way. I, see, God calls you to holiness, not your way. God calls you to holiness His way. And sometimes we say, you know, I want, I'm going to be holy, I'm being God's will, but I'm also going to have my plan, I'm going to be holy my way. No, holiness starts from the inside out. It starts from your heart being obedient to what God's called you to do. In verse 12 and 13, as we end for, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? You have none of, why are you judging those that are of the world outside? That's none of your business. Let God deal with them. They're, they're of the world. You know, what is it that you have? You're so interested. Do you not judge those who are inside? Why is it that you're so concerned about how everything else is going outside? Why aren't you concerned with the state of what's going inside? Isn't that interesting? He uses that word. Don't judge those that are outside. But look at those that are inside. You want holiness today? I want you to know this. Do you want holiness today? It's going to start from the inside out. It's going to start from your heart. It's going to start from your home. It's going to start from your relationship. What, you, have, it's none of, you have no business talking about those persons, those practices, those places. Before you look out, look inside. 
And unfortunately, too many Christians today are trying to judge the world and looking outside of the church, which is God's job only, that we neglect the purity in our lives. We neglect the purity in our lives. We should not expect holiness in our world until we first start expecting holiness in our church. In our church. But those who are outside, verse 13, God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. And before you talk about, oh, well, I know somebody. <laughs> Think about the evil person, the evil self, the evil old man living in us. We have to put that person away. Put that person away today because sin paralyzes your witness. It takes away your power. It does that. It removes the authority now, what it does, of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you become powerless. And I'll tell you, to the extent that you allow sin and its presence in your life, it's the measure that you will lose the appetite of God's Word. Whenever you allow sin in your life to that measure, to that extent, to that same extent, you will lose the appetite of the Word of God in your life. And you've noticed it. We've noticed it in our lives. You know, you start to allow sin, you start to accept it to a certain extent, and to that same extent, you no longer desire or hunger to come to church. You no longer desire or hunger to go, God's, to go to God's Word. You don't have time for it. You're not convicted that you're not in God's Word because you are allowing, you become tolerant of other things that your convictions have become watered down and weak and it affects your character. You want to be able to have a good reputation? Worry about your character first. Because sometimes we're so concerned about a reputation. How do people like us? You know, you, you want to be concerned about one thing, worry about your character. Because revival and awakening begins when you come to the end of yourself and you come to the beginning of God. And today that's what we want to do. We want to come to the end of ourselves so that we can come to the beginning of God and we celebrate the Passover or celebrate communion. Not with the old wickedness and the old leaven and the old lifestyle. We want to celebrate communion today with the new self. Not the old self. We want to do it. And if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the right way. Saying, Lord, I today choose to come to the end of myself. And I choose to come to the beginning of God. The end of self and the beginning of God where the boundaries are set. The line has been drawn. I no longer will accept that in my life. That is unacceptable. I want to accept that in my life. I want to accept that answer. I want to accept that practice, that pers- those persons in my life. I want to accept those places in my life. I want to accept they're unacceptable now. Because God's called me to be unleavened, pure from contamination. Don't be contaminated. Just a little, just a little thing. It's the small things that corrupt the best of character in the church. The small things. And eventually you don't even have an appetite, a hunger for God's word. Small little thing. Maybe it can be even laziness. The sin of just being lazy. The sin of just being late. The sin of not being timely. The sin of, of not having discipline to be in God's Word. The sin of not praying. Those little things that lead us to huge denial. The sin of not fellowshipping with other people that need us. That we need them. And those small disciplines that we do not meet will lead us eventually a huge denial and we become corrupted in the world you see John 15 verse 3 and 4 says Jesus told his disciples you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you you know what cleanses you the word of God not only the blood of God but the word of God cleanses you from all sin it keeps you away from the sin the word this is the sword to destroy the enemy and Jesus says then abide in me and I in you 
As the branch cannot bear fruit in and of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Are you abiding in Jesus Christ? Are you split into two things, trying to please two worlds? You can't please two worlds. You're only going to please one. You cannot please both. You can only please one master. You can only please one master. Who are you living to please today? Are you living because you want to be politically correct like this church? Oh, look how loosely we are. We accept anyone. Just come, all, all things go. Whatever is good in you, right, is in your eyes, we'll just love you in. Come on. Love wins at the end. And you start to become in love with, with, the, with the sin. And start to be kind with it and caress it now and protect it. And God says, no, let's destroy that sin because we love that person. Let's destroy that sin today because we love that person. Let's destroy the sin in our lives because we want to be found right when God comes. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray today, Lord, that you would give us strong convictions. Strong convictions. That we wouldn't be yes men to the world, yes women to the world. That we would be yes men and women to God. That we would not live to please the world. It's standards, it's regulations, Lord. We would unaccept, Lord. We would not tolerate sin. That we would say, we rebuke it. We don't want nothing to do with it. If it's in my house, I'm getting rid of it today. I'm, ex- I'm expelling it from my space, from the place of my life. I want nothing to do with it. I want it to be removed now, even from the privacy of my own home and life. I, want to, I don't want to go back to it. Because even if I do it just a little bit, maybe even once a month, even if I do it then, it contaminates my entire life. And Lord, we want to be new people, brand new people. In Jesus.